0: We've been doing this series on the Holy Spirit. We're getting very close to finishing. Our, our focus tonight is really on what are the things that we need to be doing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a part of me when I got up here, I thought, you know, this, title, this talk should be titled, Who Am I Kidding? Like, I'm going to tell you that? Um, this is an area that's been a huge struggle in my own life, and that's one of the reasons that this series stood out for me as a necessary thing to do. Uh, but let's just walk through what we've done so far. We looked at this power of the Holy Spirit. That's really what the series is about because we've done so many other series about the gifts of the Spirit, about hearing from God, about how God leads. We're not doing that in a series. This series really is personal about what is the power of the Spirit like and why don't we have access to it. In the second week, we looked at who the Holy Spirit is, the who, not the it, and the role of the Spirit. In the third week, we looked a lot at like what would life look like if we had the power of the Spirit. We asked that very important question, what is it that you're able to accomplish without the Spirit, which for most of us is almost everything. And what are the things that we look at in our lives that we could barely accomplish? We could not accomplish without the Spirit. And, and in my life, I'll tell you, I've tried to keep track in the weeks that I've been thinking about this question. And I have not identified more than one or two things that have come up that I think, gosh, so much of my life is being totally on my own ability. And I think most of us thought that was true. So he lets you know where we're going, Next week, we're going to actually be covering the last topic, which a lot of you on your cards asked about, which is, is the second baptism of the Holy Spirit necessary? So Amazon is sending me a couple books right now that I'll be devouring this week to be able to answer that question for you. You write on a card, I read books. It's just that simple, right? And then I come in here and tell you what you could have done if you read the book, right? So we're going to do that and then finish off the series. And then we're going to do just a pure night of worship and communion, all right? So look forward to that. Let's just do something from last week really briefly. This was the question that actually was sparked by a conversation that Jordan and I had had. And the question was, this, this is really what we covered. If I don't see the power of the Spirit evident in my life, does that mean that the Spirit no longer lives in me? I mean, there's two key things that are going on in that question. I don't see the power of the Spirit evident in my life, so what does that mean? And here's what we said last week. I just want to put it together in a quick formulation. Because there was a lot of great discussion last week, and I didn't want this to get lost. Here's some things I believe that we should be very cognizant of. First, I believe that the Spirit resides in every believer. So I want to be clear about that. The Scripture is clear. I'm getting it straight from the Scripture. I've cited some of them. John 14, Romans 8, Ephesians 1. Every believer the Spirit resides in them. What we talked about last week and what this whole series is about is not about are you a believer or not. I'm assuming that. And it's not about, does the Holy Spirit reside in you? I'm assuming that too, because Jesus told us, and so did Paul. Spirit resides in every believer. The question is, are we accessing the power of the Spirit? Not even, is the Spirit at work? Because look at the second point we said last week. The Spirit is God. God does what God wants, and God does not wait for conditional things in our life for him to act. He's going to do what he does. But in some places, we observe that God sometimes pulls back. This may be one of those areas. All right, a good analogy that came to me this week is the power of prayer. We've talked a lot about prayer, but some Christians openly wonder, and they ask themselves, is the prayer that I'm praying powerful, or is God powerful? We know the answer to that question. God is powerful. The words are not powerful. God is powerful. God has all the power. But once in a while, God withholds a little bit and waits for us to ask, why? so that our prayers have power, because otherwise they would have no power. Just once in a while, I believe that God will wait until we actually deal with him or ask him to grant something, just because that's the only way that our prayer has power. That doesn't happen in every case. It's not a formula. Don't stitch it into a needlepoint on a pillow and, or put it up on the wall on a plate. It's just an idea that sometimes, to give our prayers power, God will intentionally hold back just a little bit. And I think the same is true in this area as we deal with the Spirit. The Spirit resides in every believer. The Spirit is at work in every believer. The Spirit has many, many roles. We looked at a lot of them in week two. There were so many of them. But it seems that with the power of the Spirit to empower us, enable us to do the work of the gospel, occasionally, and maybe more than occasionally, some writers would say, God waits until we are in correct posture for receiving that power. That's why I put the third point up there. We observe that a lot of the fruit that's produced by the church, a lot of the fruit that is produced in our own lives a lot of times comes from our own natural ability. That was kind of the theme of a couple weeks ago. That if we look around and we're very honest with ourselves, we think a lot of what the church does today could be done whether the Spirit was here or not. We could still serve people. We could still feed people. We could still have outreach events. We could still preach really good. We could get phenomenal speakers. We could have great music. We could have people actually doing a lot of things, and the spirit theoretically could not be there. I say theoretically because we don't know what God is doing. We don't want to be arrogant and assume that he's not there. But we all heard the different things that the pastors that we've been reading have said. Okay, my quibble was everything comes from God. So even natural abilities come from God. So we should not get to the point where we think, oh, natural abilities are bad. Just relying on natural abilities, they come from God. And I want to correct something I said a couple weeks ago. I said that I quibbled with Francis Chan on the fact that he thinks natural abilities are like human abilities, and then there's like God-given abilities. And actually, as I read his book further and further, there is one line in a parenthetical where he says, of course, natural abilities come from God. So I want to say he recognizes that. I don't want to be seen as critiquing something that he recognizes. But still, don't you think having God in us should be something phenomenal? I think last week the word that I used with Soren was evident at least. I mean, maybe it's not gonna be fireworks. Maybe it's not gonna be walking on water every moment. Maybe we're not gonna be speaking seven languages at the same time, although it's happened. (laughs) But maybe it would be evident. Maybe there would be a peace in somebody that just could not be explained just by being a very peaceful person. Maybe there's a love in somebody. Maybe there is an ability to be generous in such a way that you really just can't explain away Just by saying they just really have a generous spirit. Something about the spirit of God living in them has transformed them to that point. And the last point is this one, which leads us to tonight. So if the spirit resides in every believer, does the spirit equally empower every believer? I think all of us would like to think yes. Last week we, we came to this question about what does it mean to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit This is the answer to what a lot of people think. If the Spirit's in every person, why is the Spirit not equally evident? Why is the Spirit not equally powerful in the lives of most believers? I mean, some people have it more than others. What's the difference? And we said, just to give you the summary of last week, after we read through a lot of scripture, it seems that sins that interrupt the intimacy that we have with the Lord, and especially those that bring harm to the unity of the body or the community of believers, that affects the level of the Spirit's empowerment in our lives. Hear me, it doesn't mean that it affects the Spirit's work. It affects the Spirit's power in our lives because the Spirit's going to do what the Spirit does regardless of our action. But it does mean that somehow we're not tapping into that power. Back to, if you want to use the analogy we've used, pushing the car that has a perfectly good engine rather than engaging the engine. So tonight, I wanna just kinda give us some time to think together because we've been talking a lot about what's difficult about the spirit and I want you to hear about what we can do. How do you actually engage this power if you wanted to? Like if you've been convinced maybe through a number of these weeks that yes, there is power. Yes, the Holy Spirit has a lot of roles I should know about him. Yes, there is so much that I do on my own ability. Okay, so how do I engage the spirit more? And here are some prescriptions from some of the wise people who know about this. First, the first thing I wanna start with is how do we stand in the way of being filled with the Spirit or being empowered by the Spirit? I'm gonna use those synonymously because most of the writers do. Being filled with the Spirit, not meaning that the Spirit is there or not, meaning that you're gonna be empowered with the Spirit. How do you stand in the way of that? Uh, I'd like to retitle this slide because the person we're citing is from A.W. Tozer who is writing to a very 1950s crowd didn't anticipate all you postmodern millennials. He didn't really know about you. So the best way to title this slide is quotes that you will most likely hate. Okay? (laughs) Uh, Because he didn't know about you yet. He was speaking in the 1950s. But I've said repeatedly Tozer is one of those people who really had such an intimate knowledge of God that when he writes things, yes, it's not scripture. It's just his opinion. Actually, the, the person who edits Tozer's book on the Holy Spirit actually writes in the end, I don't expect you to agree with everything Tozer said. Tozer certainly had strong opinions. You can wrestle with them, but they will make you think. Here are some things that you should understand if you're desiring a closer relationship with the Holy Spirit, according to Tozer at least. First one. Not every believer who desires to be filled with the Spirit is going to be filled with the Spirit. Remember, being filled does not mean the Spirit is in you. It means that you'll be empowered. Not every one of us wants to give up control over our lives. We want a little of God, but to otherwise do more or less as we please. Every believer is as full of the Spirit as they want to be. Think about that for a moment. He's not saying that you can't have the Spirit's fulfillment in your life if you don't want it. He's saying you don't want it. So if that's true, it might sink in and at least get us to adjust our souls correctly. Second, the Holy Spirit expects obedience and not self-sin, like self-love, self-confidence, self-righteousness, self-indulgence. Probably sins that ail most of us in the West, including in this country especially, but I want to focus on the word obedience because that is something that we're going to look at from Scripture in a moment, that the Spirit does really expect obedience. Yes?
1: The only one I'm having issue with um, listed there is self-love. Because it seems like people's identities are really messed up when, they don't, when you can't love yourself. Now, I recognize that most of us don't have an issue with self-love, so I think most people are just fine. Uh, but I know a lot of people who, who do have serious issues there. And I mean, I just... That one sits a little strange also because Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So that does assume that you have to have some (laughs) love for oneself. And if you're not, your whole bearing and compass is going to be really messed up in the way you interact with others.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting you say that. I'm actually editing one of our old, old talks from Matthew. And one of the questions we're covering is, what is the right order? Love God, love others, love self? Or is it love God, love self, love others? Right, like what order do you have to do it in? And I will say that we can... One of the things that makes me, gives me some comfort about what he's talking about is when he elaborates on self-love, he is really talking about selfish love, right? Not just a good positive image of yourself, but actually loving what you have and who you are and what you can get so much that you can't love others or love God, okay? So yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good reminder because we see that word differently than it was probably spoken 60 years ago. Here's something else he says on things that will bother you. <laughs> If there is anything bigger in your life than your desire to be a spirit-filled Christian, then you will never be a spirit-filled Christian until that is cured. Never. We're already uncomfortable with anybody who makes absolutes, right? It's just like so 1950 to just be absolute, right? Not even likely or, you know, but just never. There must be an emptying and detachment from the interests of life. You know, normally I would have tripped right over this and thought, I could think of exceptions, what do you mean never? But the whole basis of our series on idols, if you remember, from the end of the spring, rested on this very type of principle. So it's not just that God does not want to be replaced with the idols in our lives, but here's another perspective on idolatry. If there's anything more important than God, you could label that idolatry, The spirit is going to have nothing to do with idolatry or you worshiping anybody else. It kind of brings us back to that first one. You're going to have as much of the spirit as you want. You're not going to be filled if you are not in tune with the spirit or putting the spirit first. All right. Continuing on, here's another thing he says. I have never heard of anybody who had ever been filled with the spirit who did not know it. The reason I picked that one out, it jumped off the page as I was reading, is a lot of us think, well, but the Spirit is doing a lot of work that we can't see. Yes, I'm not taken away from that at all. Absolutely. The Spirit has many roles in our lives that is not just to empower us to do the work of Christ. Yes, true. We looked at a lot of different roles. But it seems that if you're going to be one of those people who wants this type of empowerment, to be Spirit-filled, as he would say, you would know it wouldn't be subtle. Might disagree, but that's his point. It jumped out at me because I thought that's something that maybe I'd like it to be subtle. I'd like to go, well, one could never know. He's like, no, you know. Last one. Very closely related. No one who was ever filled was filled gradually. This is where we hide this quote-unquote filling gradually stuff. Or saying, I'm a little further today than I was yesterday. Chances are, you are not. In the scriptures, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. It was instantaneous, never gradual. Wouldn't you like to go to this guy's church? (laughs) Go in there every day like your dad was yelling at you for an hour? (laughs) That's very much what it was like reading his sermons. I mean, they're phenomenal. I recommend the book to you. If nothing else, it transports you to a time that just. You know, we probably don't know anything about. And uh, there's also a, what's the word, maybe a power in his words and in his conviction and in his unwaveringness that I think we miss sometimes these days as we try to make sure that we're going to please everybody who's sitting in front of us. I don't think he cared about that because he knew. That's what he would say because I know what it is. So, what do you think? Anybody want to react to these? He's okay? What do you think, Jordan? Um, I was just
1: wondering about the filling gradually thing because. So much of it is like, well, I'm growing in the Lord, growing in Christ, so I'm a little bit confused how, like, you're growing, does that not correspond at all? So it's just like, I'm growing, but I'm not getting filled gradually, I'm just growing, and then one day, boom, it's done, or I'm just, I don't know, I'm just kinda confused.
0: Yeah, he might quibble with you on the word growing, right, because he might say, and I don't know, because I'm going to not speak for him, but I'll say that to resolve that, one of the roles as a spirit is to sanctify the believer and to slowly change them and empower them to change and to get rid of their sin nature over time. I would call that gradual. I don't think any of us are sanctified immediately. That isn't even taught in scripture. So if I were to push back, I'd say, sure, but he might be talking about something different. He's not talking about the change in us, the growth in us, the sanctification, the purification of the believer who begins at you know justification and slowly becomes more Christ-like throughout their whole life accelerated once we see the Lord it says he would say that's going on I'm not even denying the Spirit's doing that and the Spirit may be doing that by the way whether you're allowing him to or not he probably would do it faster when you partner with the Spirit and allow that process to take place
1: I guess my question was really just is it does it correspond to that immediate
0: yeah he would say that this is a is a like a flooding of power that comes upon you like the Pentecost type idea that it just happens Soren. So, because I wanted to jump into that last one as well. In, in what you were just talking about, is that a fall on you in a moment and it just lasts for a moment, or does it last for a day, or is this kind of a falls on you once and then it's a longer lasting? Thing yeah, I think that's a very good question. It's an open question because, of course, biblically you see it falling on them immediately. New Testament, Pentecost forward. Old Testament has exactly the opposite, like it came upon them for a time. I mean, even with Jesus, the disciples were doing stuff, but he's saying something's coming. Wait for it, right? You're not there yet. You're not where I want you to be. You'll have something better coming. And from Pentecost forward, the spirit falls on all of the believers. But what he's talking about here is the power, not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that's saying it that falls and then stays. The power of the spirit. I think he would say it falls on them suddenly, but you can grieve the spirit and lose touch with that spirit that fell on you all at once. Yes.
2: I kind of feel like we're trying to, like, almost put like a timeline on the Holy Spirit. I, I feel like we can't put the Holy Spirit in a box in a time frame. You know, He may move for a long period of time. Like I think of like like some, some stories I hear about missionaries overseas and stuff where. Where, like, big, huge movements are happening in their villages or whatever, and it happens for a season, and it's continual, and then maybe it may die down, but there's never, like, an exact pinpoint, I don't feel.
0: Okay, come back, so.: And so
2: to push back on that, I don't think it's
0: necessarily trying to put the spirit in a box, but us being temporal people inside of time, at least in the way that the spirit interacts with us, there is still a timeline on some degree. But let me tell you, I think, how we, we can get out of that Something. conundrum. I think that to make his point, he may have overemphasized it. I think he's more resisting the idea that people can gradually grow in the power of the spirit over time because he's saying, really, people who are filled with the spirit are filled magnificently or you know, like in one instance. We may disagree with that or how long it lasts, but I think his greater point is, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that I can just kind of just every day gradually increase in the power of the spirit. I think your guys are right to stick on this one because actually what we're going to talk about next is the way other people formulate it and they say you can grow into this strength and power with the Holy Spirit, right? So he stands on this point probably in a little bit of tension with people who've come later. I almost titled those slides people who wanted to sell their books, you know, but, <laughs> but we'll actually just look at like what they actually say because they're a lot more softer and they have a little bit more to recommend people to do as opposed to just, it will fall on you and you're supposed to maintain it. Yes? Um, I'm trying to like, just kind of clarify like this instantaneous act and if you're always filled, like I feel like I'm filled with the spirit and I think with certain spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues or whatever, like obviously you feel it when it happens, but it's not like you walk around and you're like, constantly, you know what I mean? Like things are not constantly happening, but like, I always feel like the spirit is closer with me, in me, whatever. So is that like a continuous thing? Or is he talking about like that instantaneous moment where something happens and when that's not happening, all of a sudden you're not filled with the spirit? No, and I will get to that in a couple of slides because one of the things that's important for us to recognize is that the power of the spirit is not miracles every moment. The power of the spirit is not speaking in tongues at every moment. There are many things that come in the power of the spirit, and I'm going to give you a listing of some of them. Uh, just so that you might see like, oh, or do I see those things in my life as evidence of the power of the Spirit? Uh, but it's good to look in the book of Acts. I mean, yes, there were things that happened, but there were also normal things that happened, like they traveled on ships and they went places, and, you know, like stuff happened, like they deliberated together, they had meetings, they had councils, they, they did regular things like sold properties and provided for the poor and not... Right, but, it, but you could look and say a lot of that probably could not have happened to the degree it did, like, so is it miraculous that somebody could sell their land and put it at the apostles' feet and say, give it away? No, but the degree to which it was happening and the degree which people were coming to the Lord and the degree with which they were caring for people, you could say, is not just, hey, let's do this. This would be like strategic to do this. This was like something was happening that was almost compelling people to do things beyond what you would expect. Okay, so we'll look at some of those. Here, let me give you some that you might like more. First, Know and be known is a way that I would suggest, and others have suggested, that you might want to get closer to the Spirit. So this comes from Francis Chan, who basically says, I'm paraphrasing, there's really no formula for an intimate relationship with the Spirit. The power of the Spirit, though, is most manifest in those people who know God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of them, engage all of them. Don't think it's just one. I know a lot of people who are like, the work of the Spirit is all heart. No, you got to work the other muscles, but it's not all mind either. Some people who just know God intellectually without actually knowing God intimately. But Francis Chan would add, and are known by God. Like you have to also know you're standing with God. Like you actually have to believe that you are a child of God, that he's already, not only does he know you, but he's got a whole plan ready to go for you in particular, especially as you come face to face with him. That the whole idea of salvation is made to make you a son or daughter of God. To bring you into the kingdom. To give you an inheritance. The Holy Spirit gives you that guarantee. So it's hard to have intimacy if you are feeling like, ah, you know, everything is guilt, everything is shame, everything is distance, everything is work, everything is like struggle. He would say, you need to know God, know him intimately, use all the aspects of knowing God, but you need to be known also. Know that you're known. That helps you become intimate. I mean, you're not just a subject. You're not just a creation. I mean, you are those things, but you're a son or a daughter. You're going to be intimately close to God. That's the whole purpose of removing sin, is to bring you back to him so close in proximity to him so you can be intimate face-to-face with your maker. Like, you should live into that and think, that God lives in me. Last week we said, Is God weak that we can grieve him? I mean, how weak is our God that if we sin, he gets grieved? But we said, no. It's just the opposite. It's that God loves you so much that it grieves him that anything would disrupt that love. Anything would get in the way of that. That's actually a God who loves to the degree of caring even about these little things, which are great violations to him. So know and be known. Add on top of that. These are not interchangeable. Just add on top of that. Follow Christ. The more you know about Christ, the more intimate you'll be with the Spirit. Why? Why the more about Christ? That seems kind of counterintuitive, like you want to know more about the Spirit then focus more on the Spirit. Why focus on Christ? Because the Spirit testifies about Christ. He convinces the world of our need for Christ. He leads us into all truth about Christ because his role is to glorify Christ. We struggled with that in the roles in the second week. So you could put it in a very maybe blunt way of saying like nothing excites the spirit like when you're glorifying Christ and focusing on Christ because that's what he does. And now you are in partnership doing the same thing. Here's another one. Soak in the word. And I mean like soak in like take it in, but like soak like literally soak in it like you're soaking in a bath. We hear about Bible reading all the time. It's just practically part of going to any church thing. Right? But in this particular case, there's a different angle to it that I think you should hear. The Spirit is the one that inspires the Scriptures. The Spirit is the one that illuminates the Scriptures for every believer. So when we are engaged in reading the Scriptures, we are listening directly to the words of the Spirit in some way. he inspired and illuminates the Scriptures to us. I think it's very difficult to have a relationship of intimacy with the Spirit without even reading the word that he has inspired and illuminates for us, right? Many people talk about the power of the Spirit being an insight that comes when they're reading scripture that really is not just, ooh, that's interesting, but so striking that it strikes to the core. Just reading the same words they've read before, but somehow it totally gives them a new insight. An insight so keen that if you shared it with other people, they would have the same reaction like, ooh, wow. That's interesting. That's how people testify about the power of the Spirit just through scripture reading. Okay, last one that I have up here. Grow in righteousness. To know the Spirit with increasing intimacy, we need to grow in righteousness. I kind of separated these out because that word righteousness is used in so many ways it might confuse us. So let me be very clear. As a believer, you already have Christ's righteousness imputed to you. You have right standing before God because you're a believer. This is not a salvation issue. You already have Christ's righteousness imputed to you. But there's nothing in scripture that we see that says that once you have that righteousness imputed to you, that you have to ignore from that point any right action. And so much of what we've been talking about, the power of the Spirit, is available to those people who live in right action in obedience to Christ. I think this last point is important enough that I'm actually going to cite the scriptures I'm getting it from. From 1 Corinthians 6, listen to this. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in the Spirit. Therefore, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I think there's very few of us that actually affirm that we are not our own. I mean, we might say it. But I think if we really wrestle to the core of who we are, we kind of actually think we are our own. That it's my own thing that I should do to worship God, and I should be obedient if I can and if I want to, as opposed to understanding that you are indwelled by God who makes his temple your body. And, you know, I'm standing here. That's why I told you, like, this whole talk should be titled, Are You Kidding Me? Like, I'm the one that's got to say all these things to you because this has been struggles for me my whole life. To live in such a way that the, the body that I have is really a temple for the spirit and that I really do believe that I am not my own since I have been purchased by Christ. That I actually belong to him and that everything I do should be done in obedience to him and not just because I'd like to feel good about myself and say today I did the things Christ wanted me to do. Not because it's a good way to live or because others will think well of me but because he really does have every part of me. But the important thing to see is, if we're one with him in spirit, he's saying, flee from those things. Live righteously. Look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are so many things in this verse that we could camp out on. I I just, you know, about the renewing of your mind and how it is that we know what God wants and also just how we're not supposed to conform to the pattern of the world. But just look at what his call is. His call is live as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Most of us buy into the idea there's no way I can ever be holy because we think of holiness just in terms of perfection as opposed to living set apart, more whole, trying to become righteous and not in right action. We can't do anything about right standing because that's, that's Jesus and he has imputed that to us through his death and we accept it and that's the end of that but we can live holy lives through right action and the spirit honors that. That may be the place where the spirit pulls back from giving us the full access to that power. One more. Look at how many of these are talking about how we're living. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. From this verse, if you just look at some of these things, I can highlight them, Like, what is some of the evidence that we're filled with the Spirit just from this verse when he's saying be filled? And by the way, that be filled is a command, and it's a continuous command. Like, be filled and continue to be filled with the Spirit. Continue this intimacy so that you could remain filled with the Spirit. Yes? So do you think this is in contrast to to Tozer's understanding or his statement of immediacy? That it happens all at once? The continuous does bother me, yes. I mean, I think that's why I do believe that he may be overemphasizing that point right to make his other point which is that don't think you can just convince yourself that every day i'll just be a little bit closer right i really think that's what he was trying to speak out against right but you look at that statement and it sounds like there's no way you can keep going where paul is implying not only a filling but a continual effort to do that but here's what i think is what where you can harmonize them a little bit i think what paul is saying when he says continue to be filled he's not saying refill If we understand being filled with the Spirit is maintaining that relationship, then it's a continual effort to keep maintaining it. So that would be my addition to it. I think that's what Paul is trying to get at because he's giving us not only a command, but it seems like don't let go of it. What's the evidence of it? Well, in this case, he says, We're speaking to one another from the Spirit. That means we're actually teaching one another. That's what he's saying. We're speaking to one another what the Spirit says to us. It means that we're willing to listen to one another and learn from one another. That's good evidence of the Spirit. Some people would say that you know that's a teachable Spirit. But more importantly, the fact that we would be able to hear and, and honor that the Spirit speaks. What we said about not quenching even the idea of prophecy because we would disdain anyone who would come in and go, the Lord told me this. And we said last week, some of us are very prone to just say, oh, don't even start with that language with me. But once in a while, maybe we need to just calm down and say, what's my problem? Because I have the same problem. A person who's filled with the Spirit is melodious, according to this passage. They're constantly singing. They're constantly thankful. They're constantly humble, knowing that everything comes from God. Just uh, in case you thought we left Tozer behind, let's read one more thing from him. Just in case you need a little bit more finger wagging before you leave tonight. Whoever said you could be a Christian without being a disciple? You cannot be a Christian without being a disciple. The idea that I could come to the Lord by grace and have all my sins forgiven and have my name written in heaven, have the carpenter go to work on a mansion in my father's house. And at the same time, I can raise hell on my way to heaven. I say it's impossible. It's unscriptural. It is not found in the Bible at all. You are not saved by your good works. No, never. Are we saved by our good works? But we are not saved apart from good works. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, but out of that springs immediately goodness and righteousness. I think that might be our struggle with why we don't see the spirit more active in our churches and even in our own lives. Let's keep it personal. <laughs> Forget all the churches. How about us? Because we really have grown up In a version of Christianity that focuses so much on the right standing with God, which is amen to that, because that really is all in all. If you're going to get that, get that. If you're going to get anything, get that. But it's kind of softened everything else and kind of made it optional. The rest is pretty much, you'd be doing bonus work after you got right standing with God. And I don't know if that's ever been right. I mean, even in the Great Commission, Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It doesn't stop at just go and make disciples. They're disciples that do something. They obey. We are to make disciples who obey. I think we've done good at making believers. In some churches, we make disciples, too, who learn along the way. But it's very hard to see evidence of obedient disciples who are believers. And maybe that's why the spirit is not so evident in our midst because we're very good receiving the belief and the right standing with the Lord. But we think the rest of it is like, hey, that's frosting. If we can go even further. Okay, here's some good news. Here's some things that will be evidence of the spirit that I was talking to Monique about just a few minutes ago. So listen to these and think, do I know people or is this true in my own life that I've seen this? Evidence of the Spirit's power in your life could be the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in unnatural ways. I mean ways that really just can't be explained by that person just happens to be calm or gentle. But there's just something unbelievable about that calmness or gentleness or that love or that 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 loving kindness. You're constantly surrounded by the spirit's omnipotent protection. People have reported they could just feel it, yes. Does that mean that does that mean if harm comes your way that you're not filled with the spirit? No, that's a good call out against it because none of these I would take as a formula where you'd say anybody who's harmed does not have the spirit, but the reverse is true. People who are filled with the power of the spirit will literally report that stuff is just deflected from them. Things happen that you can't explain that deflect harm from them. That's that's how people describe it, right? So missionaries will come back and say so and so and this happened and this is how it works. We can talk about it. I mean, you can stop and we can talk about it as soon as we're done with this. You have an inner dynamic that empowers you to handle life's pressures. I mean, By the way, some of these come from one of the books we're reading by Chuck Swindoll, and some of the stuff from Francis Chan, and also Robert Morris's book. So these are like a compilation of a number of things people talk about, like these are the things that you see. We talked about this one two weeks ago. You are able to be joyful regardless of your circumstances. And I don't mean just a little bit joyful. We talked about the spirit's role being that it gives the believer this unbelievable joy that can't really be explained. You have the capacity to grasp the deep things of God and to gain deep insights from scripture. I'm not saying you can't do that apart from the spirit, but you'll notice what I was saying before is sometimes these insights come to people and they can, they just, when they repeat them to other people, you can see a visible impact. You have little difficulty maintaining a positive attitude of unselfishness, servanthood, and humility. You have a keen sense of intuition and discernment. You sense evil when it's around you. You are able to love and be loved in return with a power that's not your own. You rely on the spirit to intercede when you don't even know how to pray. You have no reason to fear evil or demonic assaults. That one I struggle with a little bit, but maybe you will too. Just a couple more. You are enabled to stand alone with confidence, even against opposition, directly from scripture. The example of the apostles numerous times. You enjoy a clear, shame-free conscience. You actually can live worry-free. You're able to minister to others with your spiritual gifts. And you have an intimate, abiding relationship with the living God. We look at the example of the apostles. When they were with Jesus, they preached. It wasn't like they never did it before. He even asked them why it was they couldn't heal somebody. He knew they could do it. But something different happened with the spirit. So even if we're talking about natural abilities and natural talents, like being able to preach in towns or being able to heal people, the disciples did all of that before Pentecost. They were able to do those things on their own. But if you take the Gospels and you take the book of Acts, something dramatic happened. Can I quantify that for you? Can I I say, oh, it's these five things that make the spirit evident? I can't. But I know when we read the accounts, there's a total difference. That's why we started this series with the example of Peter who stood cowering before the people who were gonna put his master on trial to the point where later on he stood triumphant and when they said, you cannot preach anymore, even after they had beaten him, he said, I cannot obey you, I have to obey God. Yes?
2: I feel like like some of the, the small ones, like about being joyful, regardless of your circumstances, stuff like that, and may think that they're not a big deal until you've been struck with something that makes it a big deal. And then you're like, wow, okay, I don't know how to do that at all, so.
0: kind of going back to what someone was saying the second one um, I mean I have heard stories from like missionaries who say like during the tsunami for example um, that they just felt a need to get their family members and go up to the mountain and that was when the tsunami came and saved their lives but um, also like in, in the New Testament there was tons of persecution within the church and they were protected from horrible things so I'm just wondering kind of I guess we should not that on that. Okay. Yeah. Morgan?
1: Jesus clearly said you're gonna have troubles in the world, but I think mm-hmm. there are times I, I actually do agree with that. Like I mean, I guess the word is constantly. You know, I mean at some point you're gonna die. <laughs> so at some point the troubles are gonna come. But I think there are many circumstances where God does protect and does by the Spirit does a supernatural work of you're gonna get out of here so that you don't die until 20 more years. I mean, you're gonna die. I mean, you're gonna have yeah. issues, but I think that's that's a decent statement,
0: actually. Okay. Yes. And I, I struggle with this because it's the Job problem, and I know Job was before the Spirit, but I feel like the the issue is still present today of people that are righteous, upstanding people. You can replace that with people that have the Spirit, but still horrible things fall upon them. Right, but let's not let's let's be clear about what this is trying to say because I think this is this is a good one to camp on. Take the life of Paul, right? Paul was supernaturally protected repeatedly from harm. So are the apostles at times. Earthquakes came, prisons opened, things happened. He escaped, right? But that doesn't mean that bad things didn't happen to Paul. <laughs> Paul wrote most of his letters from prison. Uh, Paul was ultimately executed. Uh, You'd think that if anything's going to happen, he gets to speak to Caesar, he gets to make this big case, and then he's released, right? Because that's what would happen to a spirit-filled person, but just the opposite happens. He's done. So I want to be clear that the people who are writing this are saying that the power of the spirit is evident in this way. It's not a guarantee that this will happen in every case, and you can't use it in reverse, which is that if something bad happens to you, you're not filled with the spirit. Because... uh, all of the apostles were killed. Yeah, I just think when you say you can't use it in reverse, it's still tough, though, because when, when you say the positive form, it kind of implies the negative to a degree. read. I think because we struggle with it. I actually think that's why. We, we imply it, whereas it would be not strange to me at all to say that having the power of the Spirit occasionally means that you will ward off things that are going to happen. Miraculously or otherwise, maybe you just get a sense, like somebody said, that you just need to leave. You need to flee, or that a word to you from the Lord will come and say, You need to go here right now. Right. That shouldn't surprise us that the spirit could do that, right? But we read it as then all spirit filled people will have that and people who and I think that's where it's like we're reading too far. Jolene.
2: Um, and I think like what Morgan said, if he starts with the word constantly. I think maybe if we reword, if we reword it and say um, there are many situations where we will be surrounded by the Spirit's omnipotent protection. So it's not like a, every time I walk out that door, there will be a magic bubble surrounding me and it will just <laughs> deflect anything negative, pollution and whatnot. Because you, you, then people, you go into the argument of, well, well, why do bad things happen to good people? People who, who are, you know, love God and are spirit-filled and whatever. Because God has a plan for your life. And so, you know, it wasn't your time, so he's protecting you from what's happening around you for the plan that he has in your life.
0: I would say it a different way. When we see evidence of this kind of protection, it's usually because you're involved in God's work, and that's what the power of the Spirit is being used for. It's not a general protective measure. I think when we see the power of the Spirit, we have to remember, why do we want to be empowered by the Spirit? If it's not because we're really trying to do the work of the Lord, then it's for something else, and that's not going to work. Right, then it's for our own glory, it's to make our life easier, it's for some other reason, and that's, a lot of those instances aren't going to work. Now, does that mean that if you go to the work of the Lord, nothing bad will happen to you? No. no. No, 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 no. No, that's why I'm saying we can't use it the other way around. It's just that people who are empowered by the Spirit will see, maybe not constantly, but maybe for some people who are really in the power of the Spirit, they see constantly His protection. Joseph. And I think I struggle with do we have some of these or all of these when the Spirit's power is evident in us? Because I feel like, you know, oftentimes we might have some of these, but then others may not happen or or whatever. Does that mean that we have the Spirit's power? Do we not have the Spirit's power? Or is there this whole list of stuff and even more that is always going to be there or sometimes going to be there? My feeling is if we say that you get some of them, then most of us will camp out on the ones we have. And then we're kind of back to struggling with our natural tendencies or our natural dispositions, right? But I'm not going to tell you that anyone has ever said that you should have all of them. I'm saying the fact that it makes us uncomfortable that we would have such a long list of things uh, is exactly the reason I think that might be closer to the right answer. Closer. Because if the power of God is really what we think it is, you can, these are this is a wimpy list. You should have this and more if the power of God lives in you and you have access to it. This is, this is like, you know, weak sauce. So you should be able to do some of this on your own. Right? We think, that would be my critique of some of this list, is like, well, how do I know if that's me or God? Like, I could do some of that on my own, and that's... A, very, very important question to keep in the back of your mind. So, yes, I think we'd be more comfortable, and that gives me the reason to think <laughs> maybe we should have more of them. This is God. This is not just like some force you know, within you. It should be amazing. We shouldn't be able to even explain it. We should just be like our lips trembling, like trying to talk about it. Like that's just, you know. I wish one I have all of Yeah, or desire it, you know. Good call, Cormac, on discussing. Does anyone want to discuss any others? Yeah. Um, When it says you rely on the Spirit to intercede when you don't even know how to pray, is that just in this general intercession for us when we pray, or or, what do you mean by that? Yes, but I think what they're highlighting is that there are people who, I mean, first that's scriptural, but more importantly than that, that you are somebody who actually allows that to happen. Whether that is in speaking in tongues, but I actually think it's deeper than that. I actually don't think that that's what it's referring to. I think in these cases it's the understanding that the Spirit can pray for you even more than you know what it is that you need to pray for, and you sit in partnership and allow the Spirit to do that. It's very—it's a very, you know, like you're sitting there thinking, Spirit, I need you at this point. I don't even know the words that I need to speak, but you do, and I'm just going to sit here and hope that you pray them. Maybe they'll come into my head, maybe they won't. You're actively engaging that process. Most of us, if we're not saying words, we think we're not praying. But to actually pray with the Spirit, where the Spirit's doing all the talking, you're hearing nothing. But to be engaged in that process. And I, there are people who do that all the time. Yes?
1: Yeah, it's something I'm beginning to learn, like, people are talking to me about saying, start asking God, if, let's say, if you come into my mind for me to pray for you, right? I'm just sitting there, like, one of the things I should start asking is, you know, what does John need today? Like, just begin talking to this, hey, what should I pray for I mean, there's a million things going on in your life, I have no idea. Uh, but maybe maybe the spirit will impress something for today for this moment that I should be praying for. You. I mean that's just an example but like but that takes time I mean the way where I'm struggling with that is like that's so much longer. It's so much more like, okay God I'm gonna wait for you to instead of just listening well, I can always pray for your marriage, I can always pray you know there's things like my prayer list and those aren't bad but it's just it's a
0: totally different way of praying I think. Okay Yes. What did you mean by like loving someone who's empowered out of your own like someone who would that be like like having love for someone you didn't like? I think that many of us try to do good and try to care for other people. There are people that we know that love people at a level that we think is almost just beyond their ability to do on their own. And I think that's another one that we see from scripture that how you think it. It's like it's like the example we were talking just a little bit earlier about the book of Acts. Like you could see that people could on their own love their community enough to give to it. But when you see this just wholesale outpouring, you think something is happening. This is not just people on their own doing this. Let me ask this last question, maybe as a way to kind of bring some hope in a lot of this discussion for us. Do you think that the Spirit wants this church, to live our lives barely connected to the power that's available to us? I mean, just think about that from the Spirit's perspective. I know the answer is obvious to you, brother. But just think about the question, though, not the answer. Do you really think the Spirit wants us to live barely connected? I mean, if you were the Spirit, put yourself in God's position for just a moment. You have this church that is acting on your behalf in the world. Do you want that church empowered or do you want that church like barely connected to you? Of course, God desires that we be empowered. Forget what we desire. Most of the series has been focusing on, like, do you want to have an intimate relationship with the Spirit? Do you want to have the power of the Spirit? Forget that for a moment. Put yourself in God's shoes. Does God want you to have that power? Of course he does. That puts us in that weird box again, which is, doesn't God get everything he wants? Why is God holding back in this area? If God wants his church to be totally powered, why isn't all the power just breaking out everywhere? Could it be? Just, it's a question. Could it be? Because we have to actually do something to reciprocate in this one area because God wants it that way. Because otherwise there's really no explanation. Because it's pretty clear to me that God would want his people to be empowered. It's pretty clear to me that he has the power to empower us. And his spirit's already residing in us. I mean, I guess there's two choices. One is he's waiting for us to actually want that intimacy with him or God's just not that powerful. You pick. You pick. I think we know kind of what most of us think, but it's a very worthy question to ask. Because if you really do think God is powerful and can do whatever he wants and he wants to empower you, then it seems like the issue resides somewhere with us. You know, a lot of this sounds kind of complicated. I'm sorry there are all these different quotes and things and sayings. I was thinking about this earlier and thinking, isn't this more simple to us? Don't I know the answer to this question? You know, when I was younger, I was deeply connected with the power of the Spirit. And I remember what it was like. I remember, yes, a lot of those things, even the suddenness of it. I remember the changes that occurred. I mean, changes that no one could explain. I I kept a journal. I wrote down all the things that were happening in my life that I was seeing that were unbelievable, and I still have that journal. Because I knew that someday I was going to need to have the evidence of all the work of the Spirit that was going on. Because I knew that someday I wasn't going to believe it. I was going to be tempted to think it was just just you know, just memories of things or just immaturity as a believer. I wrote them down. I wrote things down before they happened because I felt like they were going to happen. And I wrote a few days later how they happened. Just to remind myself of those things. I know that power personally. But the sad part is I also can tell you how you lose intimacy with the Spirit. That's the problem with my story. Is that these things are not theoretical to someone like me because I know that when you break intimacy with the Spirit, I know, for example, that I love the power of the Spirit in my life because it made me look good. I was God's special chosen person back then. And that's not the reason that God empowers us. I used it for all sorts of things that were not for God's kingdom. And I can also trace back the days that I grieved the Spirit, the things that I did in my life, the places that I went, to the point where I look back now and I think, I remember clearly what the power was like. And I remember clearly how it was that I broke that intimacy. I never like to tell personal stories because it always makes me feel uncomfortable. So I will just say this. If you want to talk about that, I'll be happy to do it, just not in this form right here, because I don't think that's the place to do it. I think we should be talking about Scripture and deliberating together. But afterwards, as we go out tonight, like, those are the things that I think in real terms I could testify to you about and say, yes, from Scripture, this is true. From what people say, I could can, I can agree with them. But in my own personal life, I know these things personally. And I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that we as individuals and collectively as a church, don't want to give up our lives. And if we did have the power of the Spirit, we'd be very tempted to use it for all sorts of crazy things. And that's probably the reason that we don't see it evident in our world very much. Let's pray and close up. Lord, there may not be a truer statement spoken tonight than that you, Holy Spirit, want to see your church empowered. And you have all power to do that. We are weak, We constantly turn inwards. So, Lord, help us even in our weakness. If it's true that we grieve you and that breaks the relationship and the intimacy that we should have and denies us access to that power, then change us because you do that as well. Change us. Help us to shed that part of us that does not want to cede control of our lives. Help us to really understand that we were purchased and that we belong to you and that's not an obligation. It's a joy that we have become sons and daughters, that we've been adopted by you, God, and that you want to give us so much more than we're willing even to look for in this life. We seem to be satisfied with the little things and miss the great things that you have for us. And so if that's true, Lord, if we really are that sorry sometimes and missing the great things, you have the power to change that too. Change us so that we yearn for the great things that you have to offer because we know that you're a father who wants to give good gifts and, and you want to give us this gift. Change us. Take out all the things that are obstacles in our lives. Clear the passageways, Lord, so that we may flow completely clean and free for you. Pray this in your name. Amen.